James writes and says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Title for our message today would be From Riches to Rags. From Riches to Rags. We've heard that phrase most often the other way around, from rags to riches, and the story that all of us like to hear and to read about or to watch in a movie or a television show. Somebody who starts out in life poor and without a lot of advantage, and by hard work and luck and any combination of other things, they go from poverty to great riches, and we love a rags to riches story. We don't like the opposite idea from riches to rags. But I think that is something of what is in the mind of James as he writes these verses here today. And he begins, or chapter 5 begins here with what was very familiar to us or should be familiar to us now from verse 13 in chapter 4 when he uses this phrase, come now, to grab attention and to get the attention of those that he is writing to. And we talked then and we want to say again how it can be difficult to wrest the attention of people from this life to the next, from this world to the next, from time to eternity. It can be a difficult thing, and it can be even more so a difficult task to pull the attention away from a, a, a rich man's attention away from his riches long enough to consider the greater issues of life. That can be a tall task indeed. Whether things are going well and the bank account and the assets and the net worth is going up or whether things are not going well and those measurements of wealth are, are, are ticking down, it's difficult to get a rich man and we'll use that term, of course we mean a rich person, a rich man, a woman, young person, old, a rich man. It's, it's difficult to pull their attention away from their riches. Very difficult indeed. It's hard to make that happen. James knows this. James knew it when he wrote this. And of course God knows it. And as he inspired James to write, he uses this phrase again, come now, please Listen to me. It is as if James is saying, are you listening? Will you listen to me? And he uses this phrase and he knows he's going to need to because his message is not going to be a rags to riches story. It's going to be a warning of riches to rags. The other way around. But James is trying to get their attention and they might not be concerned for themselves in the estimation of James, but James was concerned for them and he wants to awaken them to a 
to a far greater concern that they ought to be thinking about than their earthly riches. It would be impossible, I think it would be an impossible task to guess the number or to to guess correctly the number of rich men and women who have closed their eyes in death never having given this need that James is trying to bring to their attention the proper amount of attention. It would be impossible to guess that number correctly. How many people have left the world with great riches surrounding them in the softest of beds, in the best of clothes, with the fullest of bank accounts, and yet they close their eyes in death, never having considered what James is trying to get them to consider. And so he says, come now, are you listening to me? It's as though if he were with them in person, he would lock eyes with them and say, are you listening to me? And I think that's what the scripture wants to do for us today. And I know, and we'll say more about this later, there's probably very few, if any, of us here today that would put us in the column of rich. But I think many people in the world today struggle with letting go of their riches long enough to think about their eternal soul. And it is if James is saying to them, I am begging you, I am imploring you to listen to what I have to say to you. And those people that leave this life unprepared for the eternity that is that they find themselves in, the instant that they leave this world, maybe there were times in their life that they did think about eternal things at least momentarily. Maybe, maybe in the alone times, uh, late into the night and into the morning hours when they couldn't sleep, or or maybe as they awoke on in a morning and and for some reason the idea of their own mortality does dawn on them. And they think about it for just a moment, but the unpleasantness of it and then the allure of the riches of this world take their mind once again and they place their mind entirely upon the riches of this life. And they're difficult to get the attention of. And James knows that. And so he says, come now, listen to what I have to say. So many rather than face those thoughts of their mortality, And what comes after they leave their great wealth behind, they return their attentions once again to the earthly treasures that they hold so dear. One day, however, the riches will have no choice, or these, the rich, I should say, will have no choice but to face the question they have so carefully avoided all of their life. One day that day is coming. Jesus told us a story one time in Luke chapter 12 about one just like this, this rich man. I'm going to read that to you in Luke chapter 12, just verse 16 through 20. And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? There will be a this night for us all. There will be a this night for you and for me. There will be a this night for the one who has more money than they could ever spend 
and there will be a this night for the beggar like Lazarus who had nothing in this world, but there will be a this night that will be our last night for us all. Some wonder why James would speak with such abruptness, and he does. He comes out and says, come now you rich. And he says, weep and howl for the misery that is coming upon you. And some would say, why would James choose to speak so abruptly, so harshly maybe? James would not have been somebody that would be considered, uh, you ought to invite James to your social gathering, to your party. He's not going to be considered the life of the party. He's not going to be considered somebody as, boy, when he walks into the room, it's just nothing but jovial and happy and laughter and all these things. James, no doubt, was considered by most a killjoy. I mean, when he writes this, he sounds like one to the the typical person. Why would he write so abruptly? Why was he such a killjoy, if we might call him that? One can almost hear the people complain about him, can't you? Why is he always so serious? Why doesn't he ever have any fun? And I don't know if that's true about him or not, but certainly by this letter of James, he was a man of great soberness and seriousness. And he told us, as Solomon did as well, to let our laughter be turning to, to turn to mourning, to weep and to howl. Why did he say these things? Why was he telling them, these rich people, that they ought to weep? that they ought to howl. The people who seemed to have the most reason to be happy and jovial, James is telling to weep and howl. James is trying to pull them down off of their make-believe world where they think that their earthly riches are going to provide for them in some way when they leave this life. People didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear what James had to say. But James implores them to come now. He wants to reason with them. He wants them to think. He wants them to meditate on what they already knew deep inside, but were unwilling to consider closely enough to change their hearts toward God. He wants them to think clearly that they were, that that, as they pushed off this most important decision about God, this most important thing in their life, which is meaning and hope and repentance and faith in God and following Him and finding Him, that thing that they pushed off day after day after day, they were coming closer in those days after days after days to this last day for them. And He knew that. And so He wants to grab a hold of their attention. He wants them to understand about their personal this night. We might be confused at James or the world might be. Why is he such a killjoy? Why is he such a downer? Why is he so serious? And as confused though as people might have been about James, I imagine James was equally confused about them. The rich likely thought James ought to lighten up, stop talking about mortality, death, and the temporary nature of this life and its riches about God, about sin, about righteousness, about holiness. And as the people looked at him and said, James, you should just calm down a little bit. You should just settle back a little bit. You should not just be so serious all the time. And as confused as the people were perhaps about James, I think he was equally confused about them. In the mind of James, if we can attempt to climb into it, he was likely as confused about how people could be so dismissive of eternity. 
as they were dismissive about his indifference to this life. There was confusion on both sides, and so I want to ask you a question. Who confuses you, James or the rich man? Who is more confusing to you? How do you think about this? Would, would James offend you if you, if he were here today and looking you in the eye and calling for you to weep and to howl? Would that confuse you? Would that offend you? Or would you stand with him and affirm his words? That's a reflective question for only you to answer. But do you understand James or do you understand the rich man? Yeah, James, lighten up. Enjoy life. Build bigger barns. Note the rich man in the story of Jesus. He didn't, he didn't come to the conclusion, I have all that I could possibly ever need. Why would I spend my time worrying about these things that become less and less valuable the more that you have? He didn't say that. He says, I'm going to store them up. Does the rich man in Jesus' story make more sense to you than does James in James chapter 5, these first six verses? Which one confuses you? What are you saying to people in your own life through your words and actions? Are you and I calling for people to abandon their hope and trust in the riches of this world? Is that what we're saying to them? Or are you unwilling, are we unwilling to be thought of as James no doubt was by those very people to whom he is trying to reach out to when he says to come now and listen and hear? Stop long enough in your day Put aside the number in your bank account that either you have or that you want. Put aside the cars and the houses and the clothes and the ease and the prosperity. I, he's saying, please put all of that aside. Put it aside long enough to listen to what I had to say to you about these things that you are so enamored with and you are so invested in in your life. I want you to think about those things in comparison to eternity. Because you see, there is a story being told in all of our lives. We are telling a story. All of us, all of the seven plus billion people on the planet right now, there are over seven billion stories being told on the earth right now, and they are going to follow one of two storylines. From rags to riches, or riches to rags. That's the two storylines. That's the plot lines of the story of every person that's in the world today and ever has been and ever will be, which will be the eternal storyline of your life. From rags to riches, from lost, sinner, broken, sinful before a, a mighty and holy and righteous God, but saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ on the cross and made a joint heir with Him. And from rags, you become rich beyond all measure and you enjoy that richness for all of eternity. And your storyline was from rags to riches or will it be the awful storyline that may be everything in the world but nothing in heaven? From everything to nothing. And in truth, never did have anything of any lasting value, which will be the eternal storyline of your life. When your own, this night arrives, 
Will that night find you going from temporary riches to eternal rags, or will it find you going from temporary rags to eternal riches? It's one of the two storylines that we have to tell. Now, before we move on, we we need to consider who James is talking about. And that is then who... Who are the rich? Who is it that James is talking to? Most of us don't consider ourselves probably likely in the category of rich. We don't think of ourselves that way. I don't think. Maybe we do. I can't speak for you. When we read James' words, though, if that is how we see ourselves, when we read James' words to the rich then, when he says to rich that you ought to weep and howl, We don't read them as though they were meant for us, do we? We think they're meant for someone else, the rich. And we're not rich. At least that's what we think and we consider. I'm not rich. When you and I think of the rich, who do we think of? Of course, we think of the Elon Musks of the world, the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, the Hollywood actor, the hedge fund manager. The one who has a house that could swallow ours four or five times. The one who has more money than he could ever spend. We think of the CEO who gets on his private jet and flies across the country for a half hour meeting and flies back. We think of those whose cars cost more than our homes do. We think of these people when we read James' words here then, and it ends up when we do that. James' words lose a little bit of their force to us because we think he's talking to the other rich people. And there's truth in that. That's not wrong, but I think it's easy for us to be misguided if that is our thought. If we immediately dismiss James' words here as as I read it, and as you no doubt have read it either today or in the past, when you read James chapter 5, these first three verses, your mind likely, if I can guess, immediately went to other people. Rich people in your mind. The idea immediately came to mind, and what that does is that removes the sting of these words from our hearts and redirects it outwardly when perhaps that's not how we should read them. Maybe we're going to miss a bit of the force of James' words if we think that way. Words that that now we, we think don't apply to us. And so they lose their strength. Words that we think don't apply to us are dismissed by us. These are for other people, we think. But we need to consider something very carefully, I think, as we read these words and think about this situation that James is speaking to. Rich to us is a relative term. It's relative. Rich is relative. We define richness by comparison. Not by some objective number. It's not as though you get a certain number in your bank account and then all of a sudden you think, oh, that's the objective definition of rich and now I'm rich. It's not how we think. We think of riches subjectively by comparison. We look at the ultra wealthy and by comparison, we're not rich like they are. 
I was curious, and so I looked it up. According to simple math, if Elon Musk spent $100,000 a day, it would take him 6,000 years to spend his current wealth. We think of that kind of number, and we can't even begin to imagine, and we think, oh, that's rich, don't we? This is, these words are for Elon Musk. They're for Jeff Bezos. They're for, uh, all of these others that we think about. And, and they are. It's not wrong again to think that way. They certainly are. But, and that kind of money again, it kind of boggles the mind. And then to us, we think, well, that's rich. And we're certainly, by that standard, we are not. None of us here come anywhere near that kind of even galaxy of wealth. But if you change the comparison from us to Elon Musk and you change the comparison, and of course it's top of the mind because Aiden and I just came back from here a month or two ago. If you change the comparison from us to Elon Musk to us to the average earner in Ghana, it would be us who would be rich and dramatically so. The average income in Ghana is 10 times less than the United States. That's the average. It's 10 times less. To get a sense of that, divide your income by 10. And that's your income in Ghana. But to get a sense of it even better, according to this, think of it the other way. Multiply your income by 10, and that's how one in Ghana looks at you and your income. It's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative to get this idea that the, these things that James are talking, is talking about are for other people. It is to compare ourselves by ourselves. And the scriptures tell us when we do that, we are not wise. All this comparison of earthly riches misses the point. That's not what defines the rich man or the rich woman. What difference does it make? I ask you this as we continue to try to unravel this idea. What difference does it make if you die with a billion dollars or with one? It doesn't make any difference at all. Not to you. I think James and the rest of the Bible has a very different manner of defining rich. The Bible doesn't compare one person against another and call one rich and one poor. Not so easily or straightforwardly as that. The Bible defines rich much differently and I would say much more specifically than we do. Jesus did. You see, I didn't read you the last thing Jesus said about that rich man in Luke chapter 12 and I'll read it to you now. If you remember, God said, in verse 20 of Luke 12, God said to this rich man, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In verse 21, Jesus says this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's Jesus' definition of the rich. The one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Whether you're laying up treasures and you've got a bunch of them or whether you're laying up treasures for yourself and you've got precious few, according to Jesus, you're rich. That's difficult 
for us to wrestle with, I think. But it is a far different way to define the rich. The rich are those who lay up treasure for themselves. The rich are those who are not rich toward God. These words of Jesus, not mine. So when we understand that, we ought to read James' words differently in verse in chapter 5 here. It isn't about how much money one has. It isn't about whether we're rich by comparison with others. According to Jesus, one who's rich, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And those are the rich that James, no doubt, is likely talking about as well. You should weep and howl for the misery that is coming upon you. So this isn't about numbers. This isn't about clothes. This isn't about wealth in in that sense of the word that we often think of. It's about this. Are you laying up treasures in heaven with God? Or are you laying up your treasures here? And whether you're successful at laying up treasures here or not, Jesus, in a sense, calls you rich. And James says, if you're rich, you should weep and howl. And of course, the idea is that we look to the things of this world rather than the things of God. The idea, according to Scripture, according to Christ, is that the rich are those who desire the world's riches for themselves. And we saw that, did we not, in the rich man of the story of Christ. He said, what should I do with all of my goods? And why did he do that? Why did he say, look at all that I have? Didn't he say it so that he said to himself, I'm going to build bigger barns and store my goods so that I can eat, drink, and be merry. And he became a rich man. The successful rich or the unsuccessful rich, both James is speaking to here. I'm afraid, and I I know this is maybe a thin line to walk, but I'm afraid that the American dream in many ways has been distorted into, into in such a way as to make rich people out of us all because we want the things of the world rather than the things of God. Countless millions are making and saving money to do the very thing the rich man did in the story of Christ. Countless millions. To eat, to drink, and spend the, maybe in the last 15, 20 years of their life in ease and comfort. And they, they labor and they toil day after day after day. And James comes and he writes in chapter 5, Come now, listen to me. Hear what I have to say. You should be weeping and howling because your intentions are all mixed up. Your desires are all wrong. They're going to end in misery for you, not, not abundance, not good goodness. So you see, whether you are rich It's not a matter of simply how much money you make. It's not a matter of how much you make relative to someone else. You could make far less than someone else, in fact, and yet it could be you that's the rich one, according to the way Jesus describes it and James talks about it. So with this different definition of the rich, which might now indeed include you and me, I'd like to just finish today and consider what James has to say to them. And we'll finish with just these two verses and we could speak uh, at length later, perhaps at these later verses. But James just says this, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. And again, remember, if, if our desire is to gain the wealth of the world, 
He's talking to us, whether we have a lot of it or not. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. And how absurd is that? James provides the actual condition of the riches of this world. They are rotted riches. They are moth-eaten garments. Not does he does not use, by the way, the pat or the, the future tense, does he? He doesn't say your your garments will be moth eaten. He doesn't say that that your riches are going to be corrupted. He says they are. He uses the present tense. It isn't merely that one day your fine clothes and fine treasures will be ruined. It is that they already are. You just don't see it. How can this be, though? If you and I saw what what riches. Uh, held in this life really look like, we would understand what James is saying. Because to us, when we read it, he's used the present tense. And the people wearing their sparkling robes and their fine uh, wardrobe and their, their great homes and their great treasures, they would look at James and they would say to him, you're crazy. My garment is not moth-eaten. There's no holes in this garment. My treasures are not, my gold and silver, it's not tarnished. It's not corrupted. What are you talking about, James? And the difference is the way James saw them and knowing what they were doing at that very moment to the souls of those who held them, which was destroying them. And this is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.13. There is a grievous evil. This from a very rich man, quote unquote, in our definition. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. The riches of this world that are kept for oneself are the poison that ruins their soul. Your soul and mine it is a poison that might go down smoothly, but it is poison nonetheless. You know, the man or the woman who seeks this world's riches is like a man lost at sea who in his desperation eventually begins to drink the seawater. His thirst overwhelms out there under the burning, scorching sun, lost at sea, all alone. He just wants a drink of water. And so he begins to drink the water from the sea. So lo- so thirsty, can no longer avoid the temptation to swallow what he knows is going to eventually hasten his death. But he drinks it anyway because he's so desperate. His first swallow starts him down a path that he might never veer away from if he is not rescued. Once a person drinks the water from the sea, they say lethargy and confusion begin to set in as dehydration quickens. And rather than helping, the water they are drinking is hurting and hastening death, not delaying it. It's making matters worse, not better. This is precisely what is happening when people drink the riches of this world. They think it's what they need. They think it will quench their thirst. They think it will fill their hearts with meaning and hope and purpose. They think it will give them what they want. They think and they buy the bill of goods that the God of this world sells to them and so many others sell to them. And they think that if they just drink that, it will be better. But inside, inwardly, deeply, they know this is not going to fulfill me. 
This is going to make things worse. And that's how James saw the riches of this world. And that's why he said they are moth-eaten and they are corrupt. Not, not future. Now. This is what the world's riches will do to you. This is precisely again what happens to that person who consumes the world's treasures. They think it will help and it will not, but so desperate. Like that man lost at sea for a drink of water. So desperate are people for that meaning and purpose and hope they fall victim to the allure of the world's riches. And so they consume them and those riches corrupt their own hearts and souls. James warns this man. And he says, come now. And I warn you and I ask you. Come now. Listen to, listen to what James has to say. The things that you think are giving your life are actually taking it from you. They're actually stealing your life. It's so easy a situation where it becomes you think you have possessions when it's the possessions who have you. It's so easy to fall victim into this idea that that the riches of the world is what leads to happiness and joy and contentment. And so you begin to seek them, to consume them for yourself. And you're called by the Bible a rich man then. And James says, if you're rich, you should weep and howl. You should consider. You should sober up. You should listen to what I have to say. I'm begging you, James would be saying. The things that you think you have actually have you. The riches you seek will not help you. They will hurt you. I think this is what James means when he says that their corroded silver and gold will eat their flesh like fire. I think that's what he means. It sounds like a strange thing to hear for us, isn't it? To read that, our silver and gold is going to eat my flesh like fire. He's saying, yes, it's going to destroy you. That silver and gold that you have, that you desire in this life, it's what will end up destroying you. This is what James means when he tells them that their fine clothes are actually moth-eaten because as they put them on and they enjoy them and they think the world is impressed by them, that impressing of the world is what hides from them their greater need that God would save them. They don't understand that their, their lovely clothes, their wonderful wardrobe, none of it is providing protection or covering They're full of holes that the rich cannot even see. Verse 3, this is an interesting, it was for me, and I want to leave this with you. It's an interesting idea. In the King James, uh, it uses the word cankered instead of corroded. In the American Standard Version, in the New American Standard Version, it uses rusted. And some have argued and said, wait, uh, gold does not ever rust. It does, though, corrode. Silver does tarnish. It says have corroded is how the ESV translates it. And it's the Greek word. It's to undergo the process. Really is what this is about is to undergo the process of what science calls oxidation. And I want to get into a science lesson, but I sat back after I had this thought and marveled at God. The science of the world that he has created. This idea, the corrosion of, of earthly metals, of the things in the world, this, this corrosion that is caused by this process called oxidation. It's, it's to become rusty, to become tarnished, to corrode. 
And again, that's the idea of oxidation. And the reason it's called oxidation, I did a little bit of a brief history on this, and I'm no scientist, but they, they called it oxidation because in the original uh, discovery of it, they thought oxygen was the only element that caused things to oxidize or lose ions and break down. And that's what happens when you leave an iron uh, crowbar out in your yard for some reason and you leave it there and you come back a year later and it's all rusted. It's called oxidation. And what's happening Oxygen is working on those the, that metal and breaking it down. So essentially, oxidation is that process where metals corrode and rust or become tarnished. Do you see then how all of the earth's riches are in a constant state of corrosion? All of them. Because they're all surrounded by oxygen might be slow, might be very difficult to observe just by looking at it. You might not observe it immediately. That's what happens with people and their riches. They don't see it. It's fine. I'm fine. I don't need to consider God. I don't need to repent. I don't need to come to God and repent and be saved today. I've got time. My riches are here. They're fine. No, I tell you, oxidation is happening right now. It's corroding them right now. It is a sobering thought to think that the very air we breathe that is sustaining our life is at the same time working to corrode absolutely everything in this world. Why do you put things in a sealed bag to keep it? Because oxygen continually works against it. And it's all surrounded by the air of this world. You are right now breathing air that is both sustaining you, but at the same time corroding everything around you. And as I thought about that again, and I'll close shortly, I thought we in our life, we work all our lives to gather, we, and we use the oxygen that we breathe in moment by moment as we breathe it in and our body uses it and this flesh uses it to sustain life and we use that air to go gather and and and, and assemble to ourselves all the treasure we possibly can not thinking about the fact that the very thing keeping us alive to go get those treasures is actually working against those treasures that we've sought this is all true except for one thing the things god gives you eternally salvation Forgiveness, fellowship, love, peace, joy. All these things that will never pass away. And you and I have this choice in our life. God sets in front of us from the rags of this world to the robes provided to us by God Himself. One for us and washed in the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ that gives us true meaning, true hope, no matter whether we have a lot of riches in this world or none, we're not consuming them for ourselves. Our hearts, our objective is to lay up treasures with God in heaven. And we are not rich in the eyes of James and we have every reason to rejoice. It is those who are going to go from the riches of this world to the rags of eternity that James has on his mind here. And I pray that's who we have on our hearts too. That we would reach out to them and say this, this gold and silver of yours, it's corrupting you. 
if that's what you're seeking above all other things. This world's riches are going to corrode your very heart. You're going to one day lay down that fine robe that you have and you're going to put on an eternal rag. Separation from God. Come now, James says. If God's working on your heart, come now. There's a reason that though the world might look at James and ask him to leave the room because you just want to continue with your party, there's a reason that James says what he says and God says to you what he says. Come now, I'm calling out to you to come and to hear, to follow me, to find me and to love me and to know one day you'll get a a robe that is whiter than you can imagine that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. From rags to riches or riches to rags. I pray that your story ends with the latter. Let's have some.